0: This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia.
1: Good evening out there, or good morning to you if you're listening over the web, or good day to you if you're listening to this after the fact. This is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. We're a mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. It's more than radio. It's listener-sponsored community radio, your imagination station, KOPN. And you're listening to Radio Orbit on it right now. And every Monday from 11 p.m. until the early hour of 2 a.m. in the morning. And tonight no different. And uh, glad to have you with me on this Monday, the 11th of April, 2005. quick thank you to Debbie Johnson, as always. Awesome installment of Free Range Radio Theater. I'm so pleased to be following Deb's show because, uh, well, I just uh, it happens to be one of my favorite and I think that it is a wonderful transition into my show. So if you're out there, Debbie, thanks for another great show. And uh, if you were listening to Debbie's program, Free Range Radio Theater, I hope that you'll stick around and listen to Radio Orbit tonight. Okay, uh, let's see, uh, what are we going to do tonight? Uh, my guest is Richard K. Moore. We'll be talking to him live from Ireland, uh, a place called Wexford, not too far from Dublin. And I'm going to take a, a rare trip into the political arena tonight. Richard K. Moore, I'll tell you a little bit more about Richard in a few, but, uh, but he's an author. He's an historian. It's a social commentator. He's a guy that has a a very interesting perspective on sort of where the world is and where it's been and where we are as Americans in the midst of it all. And uh, that's coming up. So a rare descent into the Faustian world of politics and global intrigue tonight on Radio Orbit. I don't do it very often, uh, but I sort of couldn't resist. So... Get ready for that, okay? All right, thanks uh, for all the emails. Hello to everybody listening over the web. Uh, A real quick thank you and hello to uh, Jamie uh, in Jeff City and AK, both you guys. Glad you're enjoying the program. And I hope you hang in there and uh, stay strong. There is hope, all right? I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. So... All right, anyway, thanks to all you guys for listening, and uh, we'll do space weather in a few minutes here, but before we do that, let's uh, first give out contact information and a reminder about some of the upcoming guests. All right, if you haven't uh, caught the program before, it's called Radio Orbit. We've been on Monday nights now for a month. This is our fourth program on Monday nights. Prior to uh, this Monday night spot, I did the show on Saturday nights, or Sunday morning, I guess it was, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., and... I did the show there for about nine months, so if you're hearing it here for the first time, uh, Orbit is not really a new program. It's about a year old. Uh, but uh, this Monday night slot is um, is new. And uh, as I said, this is the fourth week that we've been doing the show on Mondays and really enjoying it. And uh, I think that uh, the response from the listenership is showing that you guys are enjoying it too. So with that in mind, you can always get in touch with me Over email, and uh, my address is Orbit Radio, O R B I T R A D I O. That's orbit radio at AOL.com. You can get to me on the web at www.radioorbit.com. That's R A D I O R B I T.com. Just one O in the middle there. And the phone number here in the studio is 573-874-5676, and if you're outside of that 573 area code, the number is 1-800-895-5676. That's 1-800-895-KOPN. All right, uh, anybody who gets a hold of me tonight or via email or whatever, if you want a copy of this program or any of the previous programs, I'll do my best as long as I'm not totally overwhelmed. I will uh, burn you a copy, put an MP3 on a disc for you so you can listen to it at your leisure. Uh, And you don't have to listen to it over the web. You can actually have a high-quality MP3 version of it uh, so you don't lose any of the quality on the music selections. Um, That's one of the things I've been frustrated with uh, as I've been learning about uh, radio and web transmissions and streaming and archiving and all these things. I have to compress the uh, shows... Pretty significantly to get a three hour program up on the web and make it be any sort of a reasonable download for you people, so I crunch it down from about one hundred and sixty or one hundred and seventy megabytes down to about sixteen, and uh, the talk sections of the program come out just fine, but the music selections lose a lot of the audio quality and i'm trying to uh, trying to remedy that i've got a friend of mine who's working on some uh, some things for me and uh, trying to implement some better technology that I'm not real familiar with. So anyway, we'll see where that goes. In the meantime, uh, the, the, the music is an important part of this program and people have uh, made it clear to me that they think it's important as well. So if you're interested in a copy of the program, just let me know and I'll, I'll burn you a copy onto a, onto a disc, okay? All right, uh, let's see. What else we want to talk about here? Uh, coming up, upcoming guest. Okay, of course, tonight Richard K. Moore live from Wexford, Ireland. Next week, we'll have another live show. Dr. Terry Grossman, uh, he's the co-author of a book called Fantastic Voyage. Live long enough to live forever. Uh, Dr. Grossman wrote this book with Ray Kurzweil. Anybody who's familiar with uh, inventors and uh, the technological revolution, Ray Kurzweil is somebody who's been on the cutting edge for many, many years. He also makes wonderful musical equipment. Uh, Kurzweil makes some of the coolest uh, uh, keyboards in particular, I'm familiar with the keyboards anyway, uh, but they make some wonderful stuff and Kurtzweil is just a, a really forward-thinking, creative guy and Terry Grossman is as well. So we'll be talking about their book uh, and uh, the bottom line is that they, ba- they basically are telling us that immortality is within our grasp and that uh, in a very short period of time we're going to be able to mitigate pretty much any uh, problem that might arise in the human species other than maybe the fact that we that we that we still tend to want to blow ourselves up. So and uh of course we'll be talking about that tonight with Richard K. Moore. And that's gonna be an interesting program tonight and uh well we'll just see where we'll just see where that goes. Okay. Uh following uh Dr. Grossman I think the week after that I'll probably air an interview that I did with uh Stephen Herod Buner. Uh he's an author and uh an ethnobotanist and he's written a number of wonderful books the most recent of which is called *The Lost Language of Plants*, uh, which was followed up again by an even more recent book that was called, um, or that is called, *The Secret Teachings of Plants*. And those books sort of go together, and it's a wonderful uh, look at the natural world and the intelligence in nature that's right in front of our faces all the time. That uh, uh, that a large percentage of our co-inhabitants on this planet don't. Uh, don't see, but at any rate, Stephen Buhner's a wonderful guy, and I had a great conversation with him a couple weeks ago, and we'll put that interview on the air in just a week or two, actually about two weeks. Dr. Carlos Castro, a theoretical physicist, maybe I should put in a theoretical heretical physicist, uh, who's being repressed and censored by the National Physics Archive at Cornell University, uh, John Lash, and hopefully uh, joanna harcourt smith uh, timothy leary 's former wife i 'll have uh, they won 't be on at the same time, but we 'll have both of them on the program in the next couple of months or so. Uh, Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, I just got an email from Rupert yesterday, and we 're very close to getting this thing worked out. He was real happy to see the um, uh, the tribute that we did last week to Terence, and of course uh, he was uh, involved in that. First part of the program, if you heard it last week, uh, Trialogues at the edge of the West uh, with uh, Rupert Sheldrake, Terence, and Ralph Abraham. So anyway, uh, Rupert heard that that uh, had went down last week, and um, he was pleased about it. And we got to chat, and I said, look, we got to do this uh, pretty soon. And he said, yeah, I know. And uh, and we have some other material from a later trialogue between Rupert, Terence, and Ralph that went uh, um, that happened in 1998. And so what I'll probably do is do a short interview with Rupert. He can do some introductory material and talk a little bit of background and stuff about uh, the 98 Trilogues, and then we'll air some of that material. We probably don't have enough time to do a whole show with Rupert uh, because he's uh, quite a busy guy. All right. Okay, that's that. Um, Let's come back and do space weather in just a minute, and we'll play some music in the meantime, and I'll get things Ready to roll with Richard K. Moore. So stick around. This is Radio Orbit. You've been listening to it uh, for the last 15 minutes here on KOPN 89.5 FM. I'll be back in just a minute. We'll do space weather. I've got a couple stories to talk about, and then we'll get to Richard K. Moore at the top of the hour. And we're going to talk politics and global geopolitical intrigue tonight on Radio Orbit. In the meantime, this is Allison Chains. From their unplugged CD, this is called Rooster. We'll be back in a minute. was Allison Chains uh, from their unplugged CD that was called the Rooster. And this is Mike Hagan, you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. Okay, hey, uh, I want to do space weather in a second here, but um, I made a quick note on the top of one of my uh, pieces of paper here to mention something to you. Uh, one of the guests that's going to be uh, coming on, who hasn't been on in a while, although he's on the program uh, reasonably frequently, is Kent Stedman. And for the people who are long-time listeners of the show, you may recall... A few months ago, Kent made a request of everybody. He said, hey, I'm looking for information on a boat, a ship that's called the JOIDS Resolution. J-O-I-D-E-S Resolution. Anyway, well, the JOIDS Resolution showed up uh, just a few days ago. And there was a story that uh, came out simultaneously uh, that was about a project to drill the deepest hole in the planet that has ever been drilled before. So anyway, and the JOIDS Resolution is the boat from which this is occurring. This is where the drilling occurs and uh, there's some very, very strange and interesting things about this boat, the JOIDS Resolution. So I'm not going to go into any detail on it right now because I don't have the time and it just sort of came up uh, on my radar this afternoon. Uh, but if you're interested in it, go over to Kent's website at www.cyberspaceorbit.com. And uh, from there, you can, uh, you can read all about it. All right, and it really is interesting stuff. There's a history here that goes back uh, uh, that perhaps ties into some of these earthquakes that also uh, ties into something that happened in Papua New Guinea a few years ago. And at any rate, uh, just go over to cyberspaceorbit.com and check it out, OK? All right, space weather, not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, but a couple of things real fast here. There is not a whole lot of geomagnetic activity, not a lot of activity on the sun. But uh, it could increase in the next few days here as we sort of slip into the uh, oncoming solar wind that's being generated by a pretty good sized coronal hole on the sun. Um, if you're up in the northern latitudes, you should should have an opportunity to see some pretty decent auroral activity in the next couple of days here. Um, One thing that uh, you may have seen in the southern hemisphere or on the web if you saw some images, but on Friday, uh, there was uh, an eclipse, uh, a solar eclipse. And when that happens, when the sun sets, uh, the moon will sort of take a chunk, take a bite out of the sun, and it'll look like a crescent when the sun is setting, and I don't think that it made it up as far north as Missouri, but if you were down south, and in fact in the Caribbean there were some wonderful photographs that were taken and were put up on the, re- on the web from from Aruba, of all places, but uh, uh, at any rate, uh, a really beautiful sight and sort of something that our ancestors must have marveled at, uh, as we do, when they saw these really cool astronomical uh, Dances take place, and I don't say that with irreverence. I think that our ancestors had as much or greater understanding of the heavens and the movement of the stars and the planets as we do, uh, but uh, uh, they certainly had an appreciation for it as well. So, if you were down in New Zealand, up into the Southern Americas, you probably had an opportunity to see that uh, just a couple of days ago. And interestingly enough, uh, that was when they that was when they buried buried the Pope as well i have a comment to make about that as well but um uh there's some great photos of that eclipse uh, at spaceweather.com uh when i do uh space weather a lot of the information that i share with you guys i glean from the wonderful website over there at uh, spaceweather.com so you can go check it out there and there's some great images in the gallery there too okay uh now, the most interesting thing that uh, has been happening in space these days are gamma ray bursts. We've talked about that on the program a few times uh, in the past. And um, in fact, uh, one of the foremost authorities on GRBs, uh, so called GRBs, gamma ray bursts, is Dr. Paul Laviolette. And I interviewed uh, Dr. Laviolette in. Uh, January. And if you go to my archives at RadioOrbit.com you can go to January 23rd and you can listen to that interview if you don't uh, uh, if you're not up to speed on gamma ray bursts and galactic core outbursts and uh, uh, these sorts of things. Nova and supernova explosions. Magnetars. Hypernovas. Alright, so um, at any rate, uh, uh, the key with all of these gamma ray bursts, and we're seeing them now uh, every every day or every other day and again this is something that if you want the details of you can go over to Kent's website and check it out at cyberspaceorbit.com. Uh he's got all this stuff posted and he does a pretty cool job of uh, uh, of putting all of it to imagery um, but at any rate we've been watching these gamma-ray bursts um, pretty closely for a while in particularly since I talked to Dr. LaViolette and they seem to occur frequently all over the galaxy And Actually, I shouldn't say that. Uh, They they occur frequently all around the local universe. When they happen inside our own galaxy, then they become uh, a little bit more noteworthy. And if they uh, are strong and close to us, well, then they can have uh, serious effects on our planet. Now, the debate is uh, how far and what is the effect of these outbursts Uh, in a quantum universe where everything is connected. So there are lots of questions about it. And um, interestingly enough, there have been corresponding gamma-ray bursts with many of these large earthquakes that have occurred in the last four months, uh, beginning back in December. And the Earth has not been the same since December. It is still resonating, and there are still... Uh, a a huge increase in in the level of earthquake and volcanic activity that we're seeing right now and this is not uh uh, pie in the sky stuff i mean this is you can go look at the records you can go look at the the years past uh, and then look at the last four months and uh, you'll see an obvious increase so the earth is in a state of flux or something but uh, it definitely feels like something's going on right now and perhaps these gamma-ray bursts are somehow related and uh, there have been, there's quite a bit of buzz about this in, in the astrophysical circles about what what the real deal is and what the real effect of these things might be. So uh, again, if you're interested in this, go listen to that interview that I did with, uh, with Dr. Paul LaViolette or send me an email. And I'll, and I'll burn you a copy of it. I'll put an MP3 on a, on a CD for you if you want to hear it. Uh, but it's important stuff, and, uh, and I, encourage, uh, I encourage people to try to, to try to listen to it, okay? So, um, uh, and, and if you want to learn more about gamma rays, just go onto the web and put in a gamma ray burst into one of your search engines and go to NASA or go to wherever. Any of, the, any of the orthodox sites will tell you pretty much what they think they are. And up until about 10 years ago, they really didn't even know what they were. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know if they were originating uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the local uh, galaxy or if they were uh, billions of light years away or whatever. They had no idea up until very recently. So uh, gamma-ray bursts are something that is sort of on the cutting edge of astrophysics, and there's a lot of uh, working hypotheses, but there's still a lot to be learned about these things. And um, the only... Uh, Telescopes that we have that that, that monitor uh, these things are satellites now that are that that have only been up for a couple of years. There's one that's called the Burst Alert Telescope, and there's another one that that uh, goes by the acronym of Swift, S W I F T. Um, but anyway, uh, as I say, these are these are things that we're that we're just just now learning a little bit more about. So uh, don't. Um, discount any of these ideas or theories out of hand. And uh, that that interview with Dr. Laviolette is a pretty uh, pretty enlightening one if you're interested in that sort of thing. So, okay, um, let's see. Do I have time to read this other story here? Or should we do this? Hmm, I don't know. You know, I mentioned the Pope uh, earlier, and uh, as you could not be unaware of Uh, the Pope died recently and uh, was buried last Friday Uh, coincidentally I'm sure with solar eclipse in the southern hemisphere and I was uh, I was brought up a Catholic I was an altar boy the whole bit I went to Catholic school Catholic grade school Uh, Catholic high school, did the whole indoctrination thing. And uh, for reasons that will be revealed at a later date, uh, or maybe even later tonight, I became disenchanted uh, with the institution and also learned a lot about it. And I urge anybody out there, if you're involved with any kind of institution, uh, rather than just... uh, follow along with the dogma, I urge you all to go out and look at the roots and the details and the hierarchies and the histories of your institutions, the ones that you hold dear. I think it's important that we all know a great deal about uh, things that we put our heart and soul behind. So at any rate, uh, I wasn't really a big fan of the Pope. Uh, Actually, I wasn't a fan of the Pope in particular. I shouldn't say that. Uh, but the, 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 the papal office in general, I guess, uh, I'm sort of against hierarchies of, of all kinds. And the Holy Roman Catholic Church is, in my opinion, about the epitome of the patriarchal hierarchy on this planet. So... um Maybe I'll play a song for the Pope here in a minute. But, you know, and and if you think I'm being harsh, uh, talk to me after I get a pass into the Vatican archives. How about that? Or for that matter, when a pass isn't required to get into the Vatican archives. You know, you would think that the Vatican secret archives would be some sort of uh, conspiracy theory. It sounds, it's ridiculous. Uh, but the Vatican's secret archives you know just rolls off your tongue Uh, but it's a real thing it's exactly what you think it is Uh, the Vatican has a secret library and uh, you know the Catholic Church has been in the conspiracy business for a lot longer than, than some of the other cabals and cartels and secret societies that are traipsing around this this planet they've been taking secret vows and they've got their own secret societies and and all this stuff so at any rate uh, not a big fan of uh, any of these ideas where there are a privileged few that are privy to information and and you and me oh you know poor 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 us Uh, we just just aren't uh Capable of handling the intensity of the information. So, at any rate, uh, this is Stone Temple. Uh, who the hell is this? Stone Temple Pilots from uh, Tiny Music. Songs from the Vatican Library. Back in a minute. This is Radio Orbit on KOPN.
2: Killing. First you make a stone of your heart And if you find that your hands are still willing Then you can turn a murder into art There really isn't any more bloodshed Just do it with a little more finesse. If you can see it by tablets You're so hard to reason. Your conscience bothers you less. Because murder is like anything you take too. It's a habit forming. I
1: Was the police from Synchronicity that was called Murder by Numbers. Before, before that, we heard, uh, oh, uh, something by the Stone Temple Pilots from Tiny Music Songs from the Vatican Library. And this is Mike Hagan, you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. I want to do one quick story here uh, before I introduce uh, the guest for this evening, Richard K. Moore. Got a couple minutes to blow here, so uh, there was this, something that I ran across today that I just got a kick out of, and it's going to be kind of a serious program tonight, I have a feeling. So we might as well lighten things up and have a little comic relief in the early uh, in the early hour here. So listen to this. Uh, this is from the Observer in London. Billionaire picks one horse town to start to start space empire. This is written by Paul Harris in Van Horn, Texas, uh, for The Observer in London. Van Horn is just a dusty blip on a Texas highway. The struggling town of 3,000 hardy souls stands in the middle of a desert. It appears memorable only for the relief it offers after driving miles of empty road. But now in one of the unlikeliest twists in space exploration, Van Horn is to take its place in history. An eccentric billionaire plans to build a spaceport here. Wait to hear who this guy is. John Bezos, founder of Amazon.com, has bought a huge tract of land just outside Van Horn and declared it will be his base for a private project to develop commercial spaceflight. If he succeeds, Van, Hor- Van Horn will be home to a fleet of space rockets taking tourists far above the blue Texas sky and into the blackness of space. For residents, the first sign something was up when Bezos' private jet began making regular landings in the town's little airfield. For Larry Simpson, who is the entire staff and the owner of Van Horn's newspaper, The Advocate, it was the beginning of a sensational story and a scoop. He knew Bezos was linked to a mysterious private space project called Blue Origin. I knew something was going on, and it probably involved Blue Origin, but I was not sure what, Simpson said. Blue Origin has been the subject of intense speculation. Many journalists had tried to interview Bezos on the subject, but he remained tight-lipped until he walked into Simpson's office. Bezos spoke to Simpson for 45 minutes detailing the plans for Van Horn. Beside him sat Rob Meyerson, Blue Origins program manager and a former worker on the space shuttle. Bezos said he had bought several hundred thousand acres, several hundred thousand acres, you hear that, near Van Horn at the corn Ranch and would first build a rocket testing facility there. Eventually, he envisaged flying rockets capable of taking off and landing vertically, each carrying three passengers into space. Well, he's thinking big, uh, but he's not thinking big enough. He needs to talk to Nick Cook and uh, learn a little bit about anti-gravity research and some of this other stuff that's going on, maybe before he uh, commits too much money into building old-school rockets with uh, explosive fuels and that sort of thing so at any rate Van Horn Texas uh, soon to be on the map with their brand new spaceport so alright um, I think that uh, I'll talk a little bit now about what's coming up in the next next couple hours uh, my guest uh, that is on the line um, and I'll bring him on here at the top of the hour his name is Richard K. Moore and uh As I said uh, at the beginning of the program, he's uh, an author and an historian, social commentator of sorts, and a gentleman with a very interesting perspective on some of the things that are happening um, on the planet and in this country today. And it's kind of strange. I I ran into Richard K. Moore's writing shortly after I saw the movie, The Matrix. And I thought The Matrix was a remarkable film for a number of reasons, but I thought that it had multiple levels of meaning, and and I thought it had a lot of significance. And everybody sees movies and reads books differently. This was just a personal interpretation of mine. And uh, you know, I'm not sure if it was intended by the makers of the movie, the Wachowski brothers. I don't know if they knew it or if they intended it. I mean, uh, they were pr- probably in it for the dollars, as, as always. Maybe they had something uh, higher in mind. I don't know. They may have... It, it might not have even been their film. They may have ripped it off from uh, uh, from some woman whose name was Sophia Stewart. And that's a whole nother story, but uh, she sued them or is in the process of suing them, and I'm not sure if it's been resolved yet, but so there's scandal within The Matrix itself, um, the movie. But uh, regardless of its origin, the movie really struck a chord with me and, and, and many others. And I started to read anything I could find about about it. And I eventually came across an article entitled Escaping the Matrix. And it was written by Richard K. Moore. And it's on the web uh, on his website and actually proliferated among quite a few others on the web. And uh, if you're interested in that, you can go to Richard's website at www.cyberjournal.com. And uh, you can also get there from my website if you just go to radioorbit.com. On the front page there, I'm linked up to a bunch of different uh uh, links over at Richard's site. So at any rate, uh, I ran into this article called "Escaping the Matrix" that Richard had written, and I'm going to read the intro of that piece to you before uh, we bring Richard on the air. But um, I was stunned by what I read when I read it because it conflated or began it began to coincide with information that I was collecting and researching on my own. Uh, which had to do with three sort of separate events that were all pivotal in my life and things that I needed to learn about and that I decided that I would start digging into. And in no particular order, those were uh, the events of September 11th, um, the events leading up to the death of Frank Olson, a scientist in the early 1950s who was either killed or committed suicide in very strange circumstances. And and also the investigation of high-level global pedophilia networks. And these three things I was investigating simultaneously when I ran into uh, uh, escaping the matrix. So, anyway, I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but uh, as you all know, I rarely go into the political arena primarily because I find it just a wasteland of diversionary misinformation. It's just this labyrinth of misdirectional, disinformational, sensational crapola. Uh, at the same time, I, I've, I've for a long time had this... Uh, ha- I felt this intensely strong feeling that, although I didn't know exactly why or how, that things just were not as they appeared, that we collectively... Being misled, being lied to big time, uh, and so, if it seems a little out of character for me to go do the political thing, uh, just remember the show is about the strange and the unusual and the outrageous, and um, if politics aren 't all of that today, well i don 't know what they are so so that 's why i 'm doing this show tonight i 'm not doing it to preach. I'm not uh, saying that this is what I think. I'm not telling you that this is what you should think. Uh, I'm simply putting out this information and these ideas for you to ponder, for you to consider, for you to put inside your, your grinder and see what comes out, to do with them as you will. As always, on this program on radio orbit, if you're not familiar with the show, this is only the fourth week we've been on Monday nights. if you're not familiar with this show, the idea is to inform and not to indoctrinate and uh, so we'll um we'll be back with Richard in just a few minutes, but I'm going to read the intro to that piece that I just mentioned called "Escaping the Matrix." And it goes like this. Are you ready for the red pill? The defining dramatic moment of the film The Matrix occurs just after Morpheus invites Neo to choose between a red pill and a blue pill. The red pill promises the truth and nothing more. Neo takes the red pill and awakes to reality. Something utterly different than anything Neo or the audience could have expected. What Neo had assumed to be reality turned out to be only a collective illusion fabricated by the matrix and fed to a population that is asleep, cocooned in a grotesque embryonic pod. In Plato's famous parable about the shadows on the walls of the cave, true reality is at least reflected in perceived reality. In the matrix world, true reality and perceived reality exist on entirely different planes. The story is intended as metaphor, and the parallels that drew my attention had to do with the political reality. This article offers a particular perspective on what's going on in the world, and how things got to be that way in this era of globalization. From that red pill perspective, everyday media consensus reality, like the Matrix in the film, is seen to be a fabricated collective illusion like Neo, I didn't know what I was looking for when my investigation began, but I, now, but I knew that what I was being told didn't make sense. I read scores of histories and biographies, observing connections between them, and began to develop my own theories about roots of various historical events. I found myself largely in agreement with writers like Noam Chomsky and Michael Parenti, but I also perceived important patterns that others seemed to have missed. When I started tracing historical forces, and began to interpret present-day events from an historical perspective I could see the same old dynamics at work and found a meaning in unfolding events far different from what official pronouncements proclaimed. Such pronouncements are, after all, public relations fair given out by politicians who want to look good to the voters. Most of us expect rhetoric from politicians and take what they say with a grain of salt. But as my own picture of, of present reality came into focus grain of salt no longer worked as a metaphor. I began to see the consensus reality as generated by official rhetoric and amplified by mass media bears very little relationship to actual reality. The Matrix was a metaphor I was ready for. All right, well, it's a, a metaphor I was ready for, too. And in just a minute, we'll be back with the guy that made that metaphor, Richard taymore in one minute on Radio Orbit, KOPN. You're listening to Radio Orbit with Mike Hagan on KOPN 89.5 FM. This is Mike Hayden. And you're listening to Radio Orbit and you've heard enough about Richard K. Moore in the last fifteen or twenty minutes that I'm not gonna do a further introduction. We're just gonna bring him right on the air here. And uh, live from Wexford, Ireland, Richard K. Moore. Richard, thanks for being on Radio Orbit and joining me and my audience tonight.
0: How do you do, Mike? Thanks for having me on.
1: Hey, wonderful to have you and uh for everybody out there, uh, we're talking to Richard, and he's six hours ahead of us. It's Tuesday morning at about 6 a.m. his time, and uh, so I hope you appreciate him getting up bright and early to uh, uh, to share some of his uh, ideas with us this morning. And hey, before we get into it, uh, I want to make a correction real fast. Uh, Richard's website is www.cyberjournal.org. C y b e r j o j o u r n a l dot o r g. Cyberjournal.org. I, I think I said cyber, uh, cyberjournal.com earlier. So, at any rate, cyberjournal.org, and you can reach there from radioorbit.com as well. So, uh, all right, well, Richard, I, uh, as I said, I'm real pleased to have you. It's been something that's sort of been a long time coming for me, and uh, uh, you and I talked a little bit briefly off the air and um, didn't really uh, put too much of a frame around what we're going to do tonight, but I think it'd be great to start off just uh, sort of introducing yourself to the, audience here and letting them know a little bit about yourself and where you came from and uh, what sort of led you down the path uh, that you're on and how you got where you are, and then we'll talk about where that is.
0: Um, Well, I grew up in California, and I was in the computer industry, and um, I guess just over the years, I just got more and more interested in what's going on in the world. And it finally got to the point, even though it's making good money though, you know, in computers, I just felt that I was giving my life away for money. Right. And I needed to do something more meaningful. So I quit and moved to Ireland and uh, just started writing about things and uh, studying things. And the Internet was just coming into existence. It was about 94. Right. And so... The internet was just this wonderful place where you could <clears throat> write things and there'd be people to read them and give you feedback you know mm-hmm. and then you could get in uh, also get into arguments and discussions with all kinds of experts or so called experts right right right, and I found it a really great way to learn
1: yeah it sure you know? it, yeah it sure has i couldn 't agree with you more the The internet has done for uh, for information and and availability of uh, information and the, sh- and the sharing of it. It's just done absolutely incredible things in, 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 in an amazingly short period of time. And uh, uh, I think it may- maybe it's one of our lifeboats, you know? So
0: Yeah. So I started writing articles, and um, and then, well, like you, ran across my stuff on the Internet, and so and you give me a call and do the radio thing. Well, the same kind of thing happened with magazine editors. So I ended up publishing lots of uh, articles in magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really Pursued them. I just did what I did on the internet, and then people found me. You know, which was kind of the easier way to do it. Right.
1: All right. So, um, so you were interested in in the political thing from the beginning, or 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 or, or did you just somehow uh, get drawn there? In other words, when when you were looking for 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 this, you know, for something else, why were you drawn to politics? Was it something that you had a background in, or?
0: Um. Well. I mean, politics is what determines what happens in society. And everything else depends on it. And um, I guess the the key moment when I kind of decided that I was going to quit and go right uh, was at the end of the first Gulf War when the first George Bush said that this is now a new world order.
2: Oh, yeah. And
0: I said, gee, I wonder what he means by that. You know and uh, it became clear that what he meant by new world order is really what we're seeing now is kind of a unilateral uh, American attempt to conquer the world um, forgetting its European allies etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, it, it just it kind of became clear to me that that's what the first George Bush meant although it's taken quite a while for it to unfold
1: Interestingly, I think he actually made that comment on September 11th of 1990, I want to say, that it was.
0: Really?
1: Yeah, but I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure what what the... Don't quote me on the year. It was either 90 or 91, but I'm certain that it was on September 11th.
0: September 11th was also the day they overthrew Allende
1: in Chile. That's right. And what what was that, like 72 or something like that? Yeah,
0: 911 emergency, you know.
1: Yeah, there's uh there's, there's sort of a... They
0: like a to give us these little signals to see whether they're awake or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, look, 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 look what we can do.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. Well, uh... And what was it, the, uh, what was that Japanese airline, Double oh seven uh, 007, when they shot down over...
3: Uh, oh, the
1: Korean. Over uh, some
0: Russian island, yeah. Yeah,
1: the Korean uh, KAL... Uh, yeah, de- 007. Can you 007 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is an interesting. You know, we could probably talk all night about numerology and things like that. There is always these uh, little embedded codes and things in the numbers and in sim- symbols. And it's really interesting when you, when you get into that stuff. But um, let's, uh, well, you know, you wrote this article, uh, Escaping the Matrix. And I think that you have a book uh, coming out with, is, is, is the book of the same title, Richard?
0: Um, I used... Well, actually, I took the whole Escaping the Matrix article and incorporated that into chapter one of the book uh, and expanded it a little. Okay. And and then the rest of the book is is kind of different material totally, Uh, but then the book is called Escaping the Matrix, Global Transformation, Why We Need It and How We Can Get It.
1: All right, well, it sounds like something that should be of interest to everyone. So let's uh talk a little bit about it and and might as well start uh, by by mentioning a little bit about the, the article that that started it all for me at least when I originally ran into you because I thought that it was such a fantastic metaphor uh for what really seemed to be going on in uh society in general, and not just in America uh to me, it seemed like there was a sort of global uh, uh, uh illusion that was being uh pushed. As far as the market could push it and and, yeah. your, and, and your and your article sort of uh, uh, sort of validated that that sort of just general idea that I had felt
0: i think where I, where I start in that article is just talking about imperialism, um, basically since Columbus back in fourteen ninety two Europe and then maybe the United States, I mean, their main business is going out and conquering other countries and stealing what they have. And that's just how the economy works. Uh, And yet, um, when you learn in school, you don't learn about conquering other countries. You learn about uh, bringing democracy or religion or improving the third world and all this stuff. But in reality, it's just exploitation. Uh, And that... The contrast between the reality and what we're taught in school was really what I was using as the, using the matrix metaphor to underline.
1: But it's more than just school, uh, right? I mean, h- how does it become so pervasive that uh, that that everyone literally buys into it as reality?
0: Well, okay. Well, let's just take what's going on now, like um, George Bush not just him, you know, all the people in the White House, they say that they uh, went into Iraq to bring democracy. Well, I mean, that's total nonsense. <laughs> I mean, it's so obvious that they, they went into Iraq uh, really to control the Middle East and uh, control the oil as a base for further military operations. And they said that themselves in their own policy document called the Project for the New American Century, which you can find on their website by looking up Project for New American Century in Google. And there you come, by Wolfitz and uh, Cheney and all of them. Um, It says right there, and this was written like, uh, well, the first version was written over 10 years ago, saying how it's necessary to uh, occupy Iraq and take the oil, and this is independent of who was running Iraq. That didn't matter. And now they're carrying out their agenda. That's right. You know, you can read it. There's no conspiracy about it. And yet, people would still believe when on television Bush says he's there to restore democracy, and um, or find weapons of mass destruction, or whatever it is he made up. So, I mean, how can people believe the nonsense on Fox News when you can read the reality on their own website? I mean, I mean, that's how blatant it is.
3: Hmm.
1: Interesting. And 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 even now, with you know these recent appointments. What do we have recently? I, three come to mind right off the bat. You have got John Bolton um, nominated for the UN post. You got Wolfowitz, who I think has already been confirmed to run the World Bank. And you got. Oh,
0: I did. I, oh, maybe. Oh, maybe it was an April Fool's. I read that. I got this message saying that he declined. I, I think I got it on April first.
1: So. Yeah, that had to be. A, <laughs> that, that, that's a pretty good joke. I think yeah. he's. I think he's fully, uh, fully embracing it. Um, and then Negroponte. Which is just an absolute outrage, I think. I mean, imagine if you're a Honduran or something, you know, and you hear that Negroponte is now being appointed as, the, as a cabinet position to run the entire intelligence infrastructure of the United States. Yeah, yeah. it's mean, absolutely well, the outrageous.
0: Fascists, the fascists have taken over. I mean, that's all there is to it.
1: So is it, in other words, the mask is off?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think what well, we have since the second time Bush stole an election, um, it's just outright fascism. I mean, when, when Hitler was first trying to get funds um, to become chancellor, you know, run for chancellor, he t- you know he gave a speech to people like Krupp and the uh, German industrialists. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, <clears throat> you know, get me elected, and that'll be the last German election. Uh, and then after he said that, Herr Krupp, who was, you know, he's a big industrialist in Germany. He said, ah, this is the kind of man that can lead Germany. Hmm. And basically, I don't know who Bush talks to, but it was evidently, well, this will be, elect me and it will be the last election, because that's basically what's happened. Hmm. Now, don't don't you think that I'm like anti-Republican? I mean, (laughs) Kerry wasn't any better. I mean, they're all a bunch of crooks. It's just that the agenda being, um, being pushed is being pushed by uh, what, it comes to neocons, you know, yeah. Wolfschutz and Cheney and, and Bush and the rest of the crowd.
1: So yeah, and I think we should clarify that because one of the reasons why one of the reasons why I did want to talk with you is because for a long time I've 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 recognized that this whole left-right thing was sort of a setup, and. Uh, it's it's just it seems to me sort of the old divide and rule game and keep everybody bickering among amongst themselves and in the meantime uh the agenda rolls forward, and it seems to have done that my whole life, yeah regardless of left right, or middle whoever 's been in power whoever 's been you know regardless it just has mattered not one bit it has you know things have just steadily progressed toward uh the first, at least in my opinion, sort of the, uh, the taking advantage of, of people outside of the United States and outside of the country and now slowly working its way inside, where they're doing the same thing to the people inside the country, their own citizens, that they would do to uh, take advantage of a third world nation, for example. Now it's sort of fleece the American people themselves.
0: Well, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, the image uh, I use for that is crossing the Rubicon. Hmm. Like when, when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon into the city of Rome, then uh, then imperial, you know, it had been Rome colonizing the world, but then it, when he crossed the Rubicon, then Rome itself became subject to the empire, and that's really what's happening to the United States now.
1: Now, is that something that 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 uh that happened primarily after 911 and do you, or do, or was 911 just a, just a good reason to, to implement it faster mm, and further no or? it
0: started it started with ronald reagan um see up until after world war II, you had a period of oh, oh, about 20 or 30 years where there was so much growth going on in, in the world uh rebuilding after the war and developing new markets and all that that um, capitalism was hand over fist making money. And so the policy in Europe and the United States was to share the wealth with the population. And you had the GI Bill and you had new schools being built. And it was, you know, it, that's when I grew up. It was a wonderful time of prosperity and everybody had jobs. And all of us kids knew we'd go to college if we wanted to and we'd have good jobs. And, you know, it was like that. Right. Um, but then, as, the, as you got to the beginning of the 70s, the mid-70s, the growth in the global economy started to stagnate. And uh, it wasn't possible to continue to have all the corporations making lots of money and have lots of education programs and share lots of money with the population. And so something had to be cut from the budget, so to speak. And the decision was is that it's the people that need to be cut from the budget. And so Reagan's job, along with Margaret Thatcher, was to sell this idea of privatization and government is no good and uh, we need less government and all that. And what it really, that was all rhetoric, what it really came down to was um, taking the money out of public programs and putting it into subsidizing corporations. And ever since then, there's really been a decline in the quality of life. And it's getting worse and worse. And then, what 9/11 was, was the decline in the quality of life was getting so bad that they knew that there were that there were going to be uprisings, and so they needed to um, have laws in place so that they could arrest masses of people and put them off in concentration camps in case they were, you know, they started having big uprisings like they did back in the 60s. Hmm.
1: Interesting. I really do. So there see were really it.
0: two purposes for 9/11. One was to have the police state regime inside the United States and the other was to justify the um, expansionist military program overseas in order to control especially to control oil given that we're running out of it so the United States wants to control all of it so it can then you know dominate the rest of the world by controlling the oil supply hmm.
1: well s- since we m- you, m- you mentioned nine eleven, what do you want to spend a little time talking about your take on that?
0: Well, I was assuming that everyone knows that the World Trade Center was blown up by, by the White House. It had nothing to do with Al-Qaeda. And Al-Qaeda turns out when um, the United States started creating the Islamic Jihad and creating Islamic terrorism um, back when in the first Afghan war. Remember when the Soviet Union controlled Afghanistan? Then um, Zabrinsky and the others decided the way to destabilize the Soviet Union and bring them to the brink of collapse was to get them involved in a quagmire in Afghanistan. But right. right. he had been involved in a quagmire in Vietnam. So they completely started the whole thing. They invented Islamic Jihad. They invented Muslim terrorism. They brought all the uh, terrorists from all, potential terrorists from all the Arab countries into Afghanistan and trained them and gave them arms. And. Showed them how to blow things up. And the name of the switchboard will people call in and say, hey, I want to be one of these terrorists, that was called Al-Qaeda. <laughs> Al-Qaeda kind of means switchboard or something in, uh, in Afghan or whatever language they have. And so, really, Al-Qaeda has always meant the connection between the CIA and the terrorist community. That's what it means. <laughs> and Al-Qaeda has always been a property of the CIA. It was used it's been used by every president. It was used as part of the um, so-called freedom fighters in Kosovo. They used it in Macedonia. I mean, every president has used the Al Qaeda as a covert resource. Um, we never heard the name, though, because you know we don't. It's not. They don't like to tell us about the covert things they do. Hmm. Um, the only role Al Qaeda had in nine eleven was that they wanted to have a cover story. So they got some of these low-level Al-Qaeda people and hyped them up and told them they were going to get to blow up buildings and things and learn how to fly. And so they were, they were the fall guys. They took these training courses in Cessna. They couldn't fly a 747 if they had to. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, then they left their passports around and left training manuals in the parking lot. All these things just leaving a trail of crumbs.
1: You know? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 now,
0: whether any of them were actually on the planes that we have, we don't really know. Uh, the, yeah, the best evidence seems to be that the planes were controlled uh, remotely which is a technique, you know, every single airline in the United States can be controlled remotely that technology was put in a long time ago, as a terrorist in case someone did hijack a plane you could take it over remotely and make it land so that they couldn't you know, do anything with it right, you in nine eleven, they used it for the reverse, they used it to cause terrorism hmm. well it's I mean, there's so many hundreds of different pieces of evidence to prove that uh, it had to be the White House that blew up the Trade Center. I mean, you can do the fact that these planes were in the air for hours without being intercepted. There was the fact that uh, the way these buildings collapsed had nothing to do with jet fuel. It had to be a controlled uh, demolition. Um, And there's about 20 other independent proofs that there's no way of... A few ragtag terrorists with box cutters, or <laughs> Stanley knives, could have could have pulled that off. Yeah,
1: I've I, I've gone back and forth on what I think really happened that day, but I but I certainly have always felt from from minute one that that the uh, that the official line. Wasn't one that uh, that I was that I was buying into. That was that that was for sure. And again, you mentioned some valid points. I mean, we still don't know who was on those planes. In fact, I think I've I've seen stories that at least seven of the so-called hijackers are still alive, uh, and uh, in different places, uh, and have said, "What do you mean? You know, (laughs) I'm I'm right here." And (laughs) and uh, yeah, and and the uh, the remote technology again see these are things that a lot of people aren't familiar with they don't realize that the technology has been in place or that it was developed or that and it sounds uh, in some cases fantastic but uh, but certainly the tools I think were there if somebody wanted to wanted to do it and it was a pretty sophisticated operation there was there were there was all kinds of uh, different uh, NRO operations and uh, all kinds of different things going on that day to sort of muddy the water, so nobody sort of really knew what was going on, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: And the thing is, once once you can see that the official story isn't correct, then you have to say, well, then why are they lying?
1: Right. I mean, regardless I mean, of it of wouldn't what...
0: make a sense if there were if terrorist A did it and they're trying to tell us terrorist B did it. What's the point?
1: Okay, well um, then I think the only
0: point of not telling the truth is if you're covering something
1: up. Right. And I think I think I think that's I think that's maybe maybe the point to dwell on and where where we go from there. In other words, it it doesn't really matter what what the uh real story was, only that the, only that we're being lied to about it. So so why yeah. are we why are we being lied to about it?
0: Right. So maybe one one thing that might be interesting to do is just take the whole quote matrix and conspiracy thing back uh back to the beginning, as it were. Okay. Now, consider, um, in history. You know, there was you know, you had emperors and kings and you know throughout history. Up until it wasn't until, you know, seventeen seventy six or you know, around that time that we ever had this thing called democracy. Mm-hmm. A, part, a little bit back in the deep time, but that was kind of brief. But basically, all of human history has been kings and emperors. You know, before that, it was chiefs, right? right? So all of civilization has been ruled by rulers, elites. Um, no one ever questioned that until a couple hundred years ago when this thing called democracy came along. I've come to and you know, there's all kinds of evidence we can talk about is that democracy was a sham. It was a hoax. I mean, what you had was a bunch of very rich people who lived along the East Coast in the United States in Boston, New York, Washington, you know, Virginia.
1: And this being the frame and of they the were, Constitution and these people are...
0: Yeah, they they were basically running the West... Western part of the British Empire for the king, you know, and making a lot of money in the process. And they decided that, well, you know, why should we give the king his share? <laughs> why don't we break off and have our own empire? Because um, we've got a whole continent. We've got we got a bigger continent to conquer than all than Britain has as an empire. Right. You know? Right. Um. And so then they stirred up the people and talked about stamp tax and all that. I mean, it was all nonsense. The, the people in the colonies were paying far less taxes than people in London were paying. I mean, the people in colonies had a very good life.
2: <laughs>
0: um, they needed to be stirred up and rabble-roused, as it were, to get them to want to a fight in a revolutionary war. Hmm.
2: A familiar story. Uh, no,
0: I'm not saying I wanted to stay with King George. That's not the point. Right. The point is that... Um, the American Revolution was really brought about by the wealthy people who wanted to not have to give the king his share. You know, it's basically that simple. Okay. And so they needed the masses of the people to join them in fighting the, you know, the redcoats. And so they had all this rhetoric about democracy, like in the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when, when it actually came down to writing the Constitution, they wrote a document which centralized the power in one central government uh, with all these checks and balances which are basically designed to keep the people from being able to um, change how the system works.
1: Hmm. How, how so? And Most people would counterintuit that and say, well, no, I thought the checks and balances were there in order to ensure that the, that, that, that the government institutions don't
0: take advantage. Well, yeah, well, there's different kinds of checks and balances. Uh, There are those kind, like, you know, the judiciary can review what the legislature does and the executive is supposed to only do what the legislature says, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But there's also checks and balances of the form. The Senate Senate, senators are there for six years. Therefore, if any kind of surge of um, popular desire for change comes along, well, then you've got the Senate to veto it and hope that it runs out of steam before... The Senate rotates through, you know what I mean? Huh, nice. Now there's a there's a book by Jerry Frezia called Toward an American Revolution Exposing the Constitution and Other Illusions. And um, actually that whole book is on my website because I thought it was so good. Really? So I think it's it's kind of the best source to uh, read about how the constitution was really written and who wrote it and what it's really about. And the point of all that is what I'm trying to say is that <clears throat> if we realize that this last 200 years of so-called democracy really isn't, then what we can see is that for the last 10,000 years we have been ruled by elite mm-hmm. rulers. And nobody questioned that before 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's only becomes a quote conspiracy theory in the last 200 years. Um, once you can See through that, then the human condition is that we have been ruled for ten thousand years by elites. Right, and And if we want if we want to fix society, we have to undo ten thousand years of basically wrong wrong direction of society. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, and the let me ask you a question about about the well. First of all, the, the comment that I have is that. For people that doubt it, I mean, it should be self-evident. I mean, if you look around, all you have to do is look at the uh, the the names and the and the tax returns of the people that are running the country, and whether they're in uh, government institutions or whether they're in business or religion, <laughs> uh, the bankroll is just. The, mon- the the money's the money's where it's at they're all hugely hugely wealthy people, and so that to me just seems evident. My question is this about about the ten thousand years of heritage though are we still seeing sort of the divine right of kings thing are we are we still seeing- li- are, are lineages being followed and people don't know about it is that is that going on as well or
0: i don't know i don't I don't really think that matters it yeah. It seems to me that if the, if there is a if whenever in history if there happens to be some secret society, whether it be the masons or the opus Dei or the or the lumen whoever they are right. then at any point in history that secret society is going to be taken over by whoever is running society then <laughs> you know what I mean or they'll be let into the group, and then they'll control it because they have the most power and the most money. So, I think what you have is always a conspiracy of the current rulers. Mm. And um, if they put on some funny hats or wear some funny robes, and uh, well, that isn't the important part. <laughs> <laughs> right. The important part is they're running society, and they have places to meet and talk about what they're going to do, mm. and whether they call it the Council on Foreign Relations or the Bilderberger Society or the Illuminati doesn't does really matter right. very much.
1: Okay, so so, so let, let's take a little break here and then we'll come back and maybe we can talk a little bit about that because uh, apparently there are these these greater organizations that, that that are that are more nebulous that people don't know a whole lot about or whatever that are involved in in uh, big decisions and this sort of thing. Maybe we can talk about them because is there because somebody 's making decisions right i mean uh, somebody 's making decisions and whether whether george bush uh, is is just the marionette or whether he 's making the decision himself i mean I guess that 's debatable, uh, but there seems to be a lot of other people involved mm-hmm. all right let 's do that we 'll come back in uh, just a minute. My guess is. Richard K. Moore, we're talking to him live from Wexford, Ireland, and uh, we'll be on the line with him for another hour and a half or so, okay? Um, In the meantime, stick around, and uh, let's see. How about this here? We'll play something from Bruce Coburn. This is called Burn, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. This is Radio Orbit on KOPN, and uh, Richard K. Moore will be back with us for the next hour and a half or so. Stick around. Come. Um. This is Mike Hayden. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. That was Bruce Coburn. That song was called Burn. And I'm on the line with Richard K. Moore, an author, an historian, a, a social commentator, and a uh, guy we've been talking to about history and current events and uh, a lot of what's going on in this world of ours today. So let's get right back to him. Richard, are you still with us here?
0: Oh yeah, right here.
1: All right, cool. Hey, um. Uh, while we were off uh, off uh, the phone there for a second, you mentioned that you had that uh, that document open, that PNAC uh, document project for the New American Century. Um, you you referenced that earlier, and uh, for j- just to be clear about that, first of all, that was written by by whom?
0: Um, well, let's see. The authors here it lists the authors, but the um, as I read about this particular article. It was written for the people who are now in the White House. Uh, Wolf, Wolf Fritz and Cheney and uh, Pearl, was, Richard Pearl used to be part of the group, but he he got out yeah, and saw I where it was heading. Um, the actual authors are three people I've never heard of, you know, the uh, actual technical writers. But it's basically been an agenda that the people currently in the White House have been pushing really for about ten years. There was an earlier document um before this one <clears throat> um let's see, i don't have the name of that right in front of me and then it was updated just before uh, bush was elected mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's the current pnac document but they basically had this agenda for over 10 years of how the military needs to be upgraded and we need to go on the offensive and um basically make sure that no other uh power including europe um, can be compared to us, you know that we, you know, absolute king of the hill. Right.
1: Basically, take take full advantage of.
0: The like we're in charge now, and we better make sure we always stay in charge. Mm, all right. Now, of course, now some people out there may be saying, "Well, gee, it's better for us to be in charge than, you know, uh, China or Russia or who anybody else." Um, but the point is, is that with the power America has had. It could have you know, used that to create a peaceful world, you know, rather than uh, continuing to make it a, a dog-eat-dog world. I mean, oh, ever since World War II, Russia has wanted nothing more than to disarm, because there's no way they could afford to keep up with the United States. It's always been the United States which has insisted on not disarming. Hmm. And this is really just a continuation of that.
1: Well, as an example, there I know there's a statement in there about uh, a catalyzing event or something that would be uh, beneficial.
0: Oh, that's I've got that right here. Um,
1: Just so people after understand, desca- after how,
0: describing hmm. after describing about how American military preeminence needs to be upgraded and how we need to conquer the Middle East and control all the oil, then it says further. The process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one. Absent some catas- some catastrophic catastrophic catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. Wow. In other words, they say right there in their document that they need a new Pearl Harbor. And then within um a year or whatever of being in power they blow up the World Trade Center. I mean How obvious can it be? Yeah,
1: they got their Pearl Harbor, that's for sure.
0: And they've used it for exactly what they said they wanted. And then they've proceeded to implement exactly what they had written down in their document.
1: In other words, go to the Middle East under the guise of whatever and take charge. Yeah. Okay, so we're right in the middle of that, in other words, right? Yep. All right, well... and i don 't want to get too off track and, and i 'm sure we 're going to get there shortly anyway, but uh, let 's go back uh, before the break. We were talking a little bit about the, the historical perspective of all this and about how uh, what we're well just what, what what we see as history and what we think of uh, motivations and and uh, and things of our of our uh, the founders of this nation and stuff that may not have been exactly what we thought they were. Carry that through, uh, through further into the history of the country, and as we move closer to the present day, how how has that uh, been been apparent throughout history?
0: Well, the United States has been involved in a major war just about every thirty years. I mean, America was founded as an empire. And it's basically uh, expanded every 30 years. I mean, the first one was the Revolutionary War, which is when uh, basically we became an empire and took out England as a a participant in the Western Hemisphere. Um, Then came the War of 1812, which was just about 30 years, a little less than 30 years later, uh, which was really kind of a very weak-hearted attempt to conquer Canada, which didn't work. Um, And you get up to about 1830, and then whatever it was, and then we invade Mexico so that we can capture, so we can get the West Coast of the United States. Um, You know, New Mexico, uh, Arizona,
1: California. Right, right, right. Nevada. Which is now a big topic of discussion again.
0: And then then about 30 years later... um, was basically the Civil War which was basically a consolidation of um, you had a plantation feudal system in the south and you had a capitalist industrial system in the north and um, they wanted to bring the feudal system under the capitalist regime so that's why they had the Civil War didn't really have anything to do with slavery (laughs) Um, and then 30 30 years later you get the Spanish-American War where and Spain was weak, we saw it as an opportunity to capture Cuba and the Philippines, so we did that. It's just, you know, it's basically we we expand every 30 years and then we kind of digest our meal for the next 30 years. Then we go out and start another war. So that's hmm. basically the history of the United States.
1: Hey, you mentioned uh, England early on, and there there are folks who talk about Still, an interesting relationship between the United Kingdom and and America. Do you make anything of that? Is there more to the well, relationship, or 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 is it?
0: Uh... Well, the uh, during the war, nineteen okay, during the period about nineteen thirty eight, nineteen thirty nine, um, before the United States entered World War II, the Council on Foreign Relations did some studies to find out what the role of the United States should be in the war. And they basically decided that it was very important to the United States to maintain a very close relationship with Britain because what's called the British Commonwealth, you know, Australia and the former colonies of Britain, it was important for us to have all of those as markets. Mm. So made the decision really that Britain needed to be our kind of primary ally. So in 1940, Churchill and Roosevelt met on a ship in the middle of the Atlantic. It was I think it was called the Atlantic Conference, where they wrote something called the Atlantic Charter, and basically just decided, you know, you know, sort of like two kids signing in blood, you know, we're going to be buddies forever kind of thing. (laughs)
2: Um.
0: So. Obviously, today, Britain plays the role of pretense that there is some kind of international support for American military intervention. Hmm. Now, the United States, universally throughout the world, um, both by governments and by people in the streets, is hated for what it's doing in Iraq. Nobody supports it. Not the British people. I mean, no no Europeans support right, it. Right. Um, but... Tony Blair, (laughs) you know, true to this alliance, pretends uh, that Britain is supporting the United States. And in fact, he has the power to send troops over there and everything. So when you look at American television, you always see the Brits as if that was international support. So it's really a, a propaganda boost for United States internal politics to have Britain cooperating with the United States and Iraq. Really, all that amounts to. They don't have
1: enough troops to really help. Yeah, the great, great majority of the troops there are, are, are American troops.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well,
1: so, and the media, as, as you mentioned, uh, pushes it right along. What is is it a myth? You know, you, you hear about the liberal bias of the media all the time. And to me, I don't see a liberal bias. I see a totalitarian bias to all of the media for the most part.
0: Well, that's a very, very interesting topic. I'm glad you mentioned that one. Um, because if you ask a liberal, which is kind of what you and I would basically be, I think, if you ask a liberal, they'll say, oh, the media is right-wing corporate propaganda. right? And let, and yet, and then you ask a conservative person, like my sister-in-law or somebody, you know, um, and they'll say, oh, it's a liberal media. All right. And it's like, wait, are we seeing two different things? Well, the thing is that we're both right. And I can explain that. Is That is that if you look at the personalities on television, well, not counting Fox News, okay, but on your basic mainstream channels, what you see is people who speak with a liberal point of view, who speak with liberal sentiments. You know? Such as? I like can seeing it. They, They're not talking about. Jesus and all. You know, they they sort of speak with a liberal mentality. And so if you are uh, a conservative Christian kind of person, you feel that your voice is not being heard on that media. So, and you're right. And so in that sense, it is, it's a liberal voice that comes through the media. Hmm. And conservatives can see that. Uh, We don't see it because we just take it for granted. That's how people should talk. And yet, the political agenda that that is presented on the news is a is a elite corporate agenda um, it it's supporting the war in iraq it's not saying the war in iraq is wrong right right It's, a su- it's supporting neoliberalism it's not saying free trade um, all those things so in that sense it's a it's we can say it's a conservative agenda, but it's with a liberal voice hmm. okay. uh, liberal sentiments liberal prejudices you know interesting interesting being coming out from these people on mainstream television so that's why we can the two the two sides of the fence can can each see two different things because we're really looking we're looking at different parts of the picture
1: is it by design you think
0: well um, the sense it turns out that most people in the United States are liberals um, there's a big resurgence of conservatism for sure. Uh, but if you really, you know, you take the East Coast and the West Coast with those big cities and those big, you know, more or less liberal sentiment, the majority really are still liberal. So that's why the mainstream media needs to speak to them with their with their kind of sentiment so that they don't feel alienated. Hmm. So that's intentional. It makes sense from a propaganda point of view. And then yet all the, the conservative people then are going to feel left out so that's why you have Fox News and all of these right wing talk shows and all that, so they have a place to get their propaganda
1: <laughs> but it's all propaganda,
0: oh yeah, I mean propaganda is necessary in order to keep people under control uh when you don't have police on every street corner, like you did you know back in the days of dictatorships and kings um when you want people to believe they live in a democracy, and so propaganda is the way you make them believe it. Mm. So it's not... It's like some people say that the the media uh, isn't independent enough and it goes along with the government. Well, that's not true at all. The media and the government are both working for, you know, the wealthy elite who run the country.
1: Well, that's a good... uh that's a good chance to talk a little bit more about that, then. Who are they, the, neb- the nebulous they? Is it bankers? Are they the heads of these multinational corporations? Is it the Federal Reserve? Is it, a, is it uh, I mean, c- combinations or different groups and cabals that, like you say, that, that happen to be all struggling for power?
0: I kind of I think of it as the, quote, elite community. Um, and, well, I guess a place to start. You take take the top 100 corporations and banks. Now, then consider their boards of directors. Now, so the board of directors has, what, I don't know, between 6, 10, 12 people in it, right? Right, right. So if you take the top 100 corporations, you, the total of the board of directors is going to be, what, 600 to 1,000. But Makes it's sense. not Makes 600 sense. to 1,000 people because a lot of the same ones are on many boards of directors. Agreed, agreed. So, let's say out of that, maybe you get, I don't know, four 400 or 500 people. Okay. I'd say those people is kind of a good beginning to who the elite community is.
2: <laughs>
0: you know? um, I mean, at the very top, you're talking about money. You're talking about people like John D. Rockefeller, or like Rock- the Rockefellers, you know, mm-hmm. John D. Rockefeller and his descendants. Nelson, et cetera, et cetera, right. and most of the really like what is it William Buffett is that one of the guys who's really rich that we never hear of? you know we hear about Bill Gates, but right, right. Warren I buffett. saw a list of the and yeah, I'd never heard of any of their names,
1: yeah Warren Buffett,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean I heard of one name or something, so these are people who don't who aren't particularly wanting to be in the public focus
1: buffett had Warren Buffett had planes in the air on nine eleven by the way. Um, i don't know if you knew that that were tailing one of the uh that were tailing one of the aircraft that eventually crashed
0: no i didn't know that that
1: was verified too.
0: well then maybe he was maybe that was the plane that was controlling it because if it was remote controlled it, it would have either been from the ground, which would have been difficult um or it would have been from one of those uh AWACS planes or right. else, so that they could have been above it and seen where it was going you right. Know? Well, regardless, yes.
2: yes. So, okay, so so, there's so
0: so what you've got is you've got the wealthy people who own things and you kind of really set the agenda. Um, but they don't sit around themselves in some secret session making plans. They hire people to do that. I and mean, that's what the Council on Foreign Relations, there's hundreds of think tanks in the Washington area. Mm-hmm. These are highly paid consultants and uh, strategic planners and. and, and uh, Council on Foreign Relations is kind of the most famous one, and these are people whose career is to plan out uh, scenarios. Okay, what if what if we invaded China with using these weapons? What would happen? And they say, well, then it'd be likely to this would happen. This would happen. They huh. they bomb Japan. Say, so, okay, well now let's do another scenario. Let's say we invade from the south. You know, dah, dah, dah. right. And so that's their job is to plan out all kinds of scenarios and. Uh, what if we increase unemployment by three percent? What if we un- increase it by five percent? You know, and so they work out all these scenarios and plans, that are, um, and then um, and then eventually decisions get made. Now, the Council on Foreign Relations publishes a journal, and uh, you know I used I just followed it for a long time, and you could see things being talked about there, and then five years later, ten years later, you'd see them being implemented in policy. Hmm. So there's a there's a whole sophisticated community with people at the top and technocrats who do the technical work and uh, and people that go out and manage the media. It's a whole it's a whole community. It's not some six people, seven people planning things. And, um,
1: and and it's something that I guess has been growing and evolving then, right? In other words, this isn't something that's that's that new. It's just something that has now been refined and with the advent of uh, mass communication technologies and all this stuff, it may, maybe it's becoming more uh, more effective, but it seems like it's just uh, a, a further refinement of an old story.
0: Well, definitely. I mean, back in the days of Andrew Jackson or whatever, and, you know, <clears throat> you know and, and a century ago, it was much simpler and probably just a few people who were sitting around with their feet up by the fireplace, you know, planning... Conspiracies, but where it really became an industrial grade thing was after World War II, because during World War II you had just um, you had the Manhattan Project, you had the beginning of nuclear energy, you had huge bombing campaigns in Europe. So, I mean, this huge industrialization of the military and uh, of intelligence. That's when the CIA was created. And that's what um, Dwight Eisenhower meant when he talked about the threat of the, in- the military-industrial complex.
1: Right, when
0: he, when he, he left office. He talking off his... about this monster that had been created during World War II. And so once World War II was over, everything was on an, a whole new footing. There was now this massive institutionalization of intelligence gathering and high-level planning and, uh, and keeping secrets from the American people.
2: Yeah, so you know, really,
0: the end of World War II was the turning point of the modern industrial intelligence state.
1: Yeah, I agree fully. I think that post-World War II was sort of a watershed. All kinds of different things came uh, about right, in, right right around that time in the mid to late 40s and then into the 50s. And I encourage all of you out there, if you haven't heard or read the words of Dwight Eisenhower when he left office in... 1961, I guess it was his uh, uh, the final speech that he made as president. Uh, I encourage you to listen to that or go read it. It's uh, transcribed online in lots of places, but it is uh, quite prophetic. In
0: uh... well, it's also the opening of uh, Oliver Stone's JFK. Is it really? Yeah, they actually show Eisenhower uh, his own voice giving the speech. It's very impressive because he's. Wisniewski was an impressive man.
2: Oh yeah,
0: um, and you know he seemed like even though he was the tool of um, elites, he, he he had a lot of integrity himself. And so you see him giving that speech; you know he really means it.
1: Yeah, I think, and it really comes through. That that's why, if you can listen to it, listen to it, because uh, of course, hearing the words being spoken. Sometimes do more than just reading them yourselves, but at any rate, uh, yeah, it was a profound speech, and especially with the with the benefit of hindsight, uh, he certainly knew what was uh, uh, what was on the on the ballot. Mhm. Yeah, and here we are, 45 years, 44 years since then, and it really has just been a forward march of
0: that. Yep
1: let 's talk about corporations for 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 a few minutes uh, because obviously they're a big part of this, and that, uh, they're as you mentioned the the top biggest largest one hundred corporations banks what have you are run by four or five hundred people, and obviously they have a tremendous amount of power and influence so Using their corporations what what about the idea of like corporation as a person you know uh, these sorts of things how How did that all come about and how what's what's it mean to us some people don't probably probably understand about corporate personhood
0: well corporations are basically money making machines um, you you create one and you put people in charge of it. Or know what they're doing, and the whole purpose of the corporation is to generate money. Um, and once those machines got set up, and those who ran them said, "Well, the way to make even more money is to give corporations even more power." Mm. So it was about eighteen—I don't know when it was—eighteen fifty, eighteen. It was sometime in the late eighteen hundreds when um, Southern Pacific Railroad um, managed somehow in a court case they were in to get it written down that corporations are persons who who deserve to have the rights of persons. And if I think it was right, it was done in the Supreme Court, but it wasn't even done by the Supreme Court justices. It was written in by a clerk. (laughs) And Because of that clerk wrote wrote in this phrase that corporations are persons, then they have all the rights of the Bill of Rights and all this. You know what I mean? Which is total nonsense. Right. Um, And yet, even though it's total nonsense, it's how things are interpreted, and it ends up um, giving corporations just an incredible amount of power. Like corporations, uh, when they, you know, they fund political campaigns and tell lies on television, they say, well, that's freedom of speech. That's protected by the Constitution. Well, freedom of speech is for people, Mm. not for corporations. (laughs) It's an abomination. Yeah. It should be interpreted as being people, But, but it gives them power so they can make more money. So that's why it happened.
1: Yeah. And they basically made the rules themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's what this all comes down to, basically make the rules yourself and then push them and push them and push them and push them as far as you can. Well,
0: just like Bob Dylan says, the masters make the rules for the wise men and the fools. Mm. It's
1: that simple. All right. Well, that's uh, that's a good chance to take another break here, I think. So we're just about at the top of the hour. Let's do that. And uh, we'll be back in uh, three or four minutes. This is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. And my guest tonight is Richard K. Moore. We're talking live from Ireland and uh, discussing the Faustian world of global (laughs) geopolitics. (laughs) And uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes uh, with Richard. And in the meantime, this is... REM, I think, uh, Richard, let's, uh, let's start talking when we come back maybe about uh, some things that are a little bit more current, all right? Sure. Okay, yeah, we'll get into Iraq and some of these other things and maybe see if we can try to map out what might be next on, uh, on the agenda of, uh, of the so-called masters. Okay, in the meantime, uh, REM on KOPN 89.5 Radio Orbit, this is Welcome to the Occupation. am with Welcome to the Occupation. This is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN, 89.5 FM, mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. It's more than radio, it's listener-sponsored community radio, your imagination station, KOPN. And this is Radio Orbit coming to you live every Monday uh, evening from 11 p.m. until 2 a.m. All right, uh, let's get right back to my guest, Richard K. Moore, on the line from Wexford, Ireland. Hi, Richard. Thanks for sticking around Missouri. with
0: us. Missouri, that's the show-me state, right?
1: And it sure is. <laughs> yeah, this is where uh, John Ashcroft actually was the governor here oh. uh, at one time before he moved on to uh, uh, to Washington. And, of course, uh, he's been sort of off the radar now for the last, oh, I don't know, what's it been, a year or so since... Uh, he wasn't fascist enough for them yeah i'm not sure or or, or they weren't for him
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, at any rate uh yeah it's uh i I wanted to mention you ma- you made me think of something a little bit earlier uh you mentioned the late sixties and the seventies and about what something that was happening back then and I see a lot of parallelisms between what ha- what 's happening right now and what Seemed even though I was quite a young youngster back then, I I've, I've read enough and I have enough uh, uh, a, n- a number of friends who lived through through a lot of that stuff, and I really see some parallels between now and then. Um, what do you what do what you make of any of that?
0: Well, you mean in terms of popular movements?
1: Well, well, a lot of different things. Uh, uh, popular movement. The war, uh, uh, for example, the Vietnam versus Iraq sort of thing, I think those compare. Mm -hmm. But also sort of a resurgence of uh, art and creativity and maybe even, like, the idea of, uh, like, the psychedelic experience. And so, like, definitely a cultural sort of... uh, uh, Hmm. What's the word I'm looking for, Uh, uh, like a counterculture that seems to be building as it was back then? And I was wondering if you see anything like that.
0: Well, um, I guess for me it never stopped. Mm. (laughs) I mean, um, kind of the 60s sort of made made drugs a lot more popular. Um, I've seen drugs around me ever since, you know. Mm. Um, you know, like everybody smokes joints, I and mean, everywhere you go in the world. Um, whereas that wasn't so much true before the '60s. Hmm. Um, and I've tended to associate with people who I would tend to would be what I would call sort of of a liberated mentality, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so my microculture has been <laughs> kind of having a '60s flavor ever since then. I guess I'm. I know that in terms of uh, movements like the anti-globalization movement and the peace movement uh, with respect to Iraq is worldwide. And in that sense, in terms of popular movements, I see a resurgence. Mm. Um, But I actually haven't been sensitive to or aware of uh, a resurgence of counterculture in the society.
1: Tell me about it. <laughs> well, I, I live in it's a town. Coll- kind
0: of, uh, my radar has been pointing out the directions.
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I live in a college town here, and uh, and we're in the middle of mid-Missouri, sort of. Uh, um, I don't know. I guess you'd sort of call it the Bible Belt, and yeah. so there, there's a, there's a lot of uh, there's there, there's quite a bit of conservative thought around here. But but there, but it, but there's also a lot of conversation, and there's also I'm, I'm actually. Uh, uh, quite pleased about uh, about at least conversation happening you know what i mean mm-hmm. um yeah, that I, I i see that as such a huge problem where nobody will even talk about this stuff everybody pretty much they got their mind made up they got it all figured out and uh and that's just the way it is but i think it's so complicated that uh the the in at least in my own personal uh, uh case that it, it's it it's just a matter of sort of what, what we were talking about earlier not really even w- once you realize that you're being deceived on a regular basis well then sort of the de- the detail the details to me used to be really important Richard I used to be one of these guys that I dug and dug and dug and I had a couple of particular uh, projects that I was really interested in be- for personal reasons and I mean I wanted every detail you know and but the, fir- the further I dug the deeper it went
0: and I agree. So, like, I, I really don't care anymore. Right. And so I don't think... Exactly that... who it was that shot JFK or exactly who it was that flew the plane into the World Trade Center. It's like they do those kinds of things all the time. Right, right. And the real question is what can we do about it? Exactly. So that down each and every conspiracy.
1: Right. So that becomes the realization is that it really doesn't even matter uh, exa- exactly who or or why. It's just the fact that, that it's going on and once you recognize that it's going on, then it's, then it's sort of like, oh, my God, how do we get out of this mess, you know? And since we're, since we're in, since we're talking about messes, I mean, maybe we should talk a little bit about what's happened since 9-11. We went into Afghanistan. Uh, it was obviously very screwed up before we went there, and it's still very screwed up now. Of course, opium production is back up, which plays a big part in this. We haven't mentioned the whole drug trade which is run by the elites as well in in, in most cases.
0: Well, the CIA pretty much runs the international drug trade. Um, It has for quite a while. It goes back (laughs) to Queen Victoria (laughs) (laughs) uh, sent warships against China because China wouldn't let uh, them export opium. Right. Um, It's always been Top level governments that have been involved in drugs because drugs is easy money, you know, lots of money for small massive goods right and, production costs
1: right and 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 by drugs you know I include things like sugar and chocolate and coffee and you know and alcohol and tobacco and uh the legal
0: drugs, as well as make more profits, right? Right. <laughs> and pharmaceuticals.
1: Oh yeah. yeah.
0: The whole pharmaceutical industry is basically drug pushers.
1: Oh yeah, it's just a huge racket. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, so this is so this is what we've got. We go we we go into Afghanistan, and uh, rubble turn that place into more rubble than it already was, and I don't know what the actual goal was there, other than probably just to set up a bunch of bases, uh, to, just for the just for the strategic importance of I mean, it. They certainly haven't done anything to improve the, uh, the the quality of life for the great majority of people in that country, I don't think.
0: Well, the United States has never had a goal of improving anybody's quality of life.
1: But that's always been the shtick.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, that was what the whole matrix metaphor mm-hmm. was the contrast between what imperialism is really about and what the rhetoric is about. Right. Now Afghanistan has a couple important where's my globe? I always like to look at it on the globe. Correct. Right. If, if you look at the globe and you look at Afghanistan um, it's this huge central area which just touches on so many things and it, all, it reaches you know it's like practically down to India, up to Russia. It over reaches almost over to the beginning of China. It's this huge, um, very important central region in Eurasia. Right. And it's always been of strategic importance uh, to the great powers. Um, so partly Afghanistan is a matter of really. Controlling Afghanistan gives the United States a good position in terms of attacking Russia and China. Hmm. And it also, um, it is, also, there's the pipeline. You know, it's, it's a way to get Caspian oil mm-hmm. um, to the west without going through Russia. You know, right, right, right. Um, so, actually, more than Afghanistan, the United States is surrounding. China and Russia with bases is what it's doing. Because the real, the targets of U.S. imperialism at this point are China and Russia.
3: In other words, you think that... Iraq
0: and Afghanistan and Iran and Syria are just um, little stepping stones, you know, mopping up operations in preparation for taking on China and Russia.
1: Hmm. Wow, that's that's encouraging. That's been
0: apparent for quite a while.
1: Well, and the Chinese for, for years have spoken outright about future war with the U.S.
0: Well, because they know the U.S. is planning one. I mean, China has no desire to fight the U.S. whatsoever, just as Russia never had any desire to fight the U.S. Um, what China has said it once and one is to is to sort of be the regional power in Asia. It thinks, just like in the United States, we talk about Central America being our backyard, you know? Right. Kind of thing. Um, And if the the Russians invaded Central America, we'd consider it a threat to us, you know. So so in the same sense, China considers um, Asia to be its backyard. Hmm. And it kind of wants to have a dominant position there. Uh, And uh, the United States doesn't want that. Part of the Project for New American Century agenda is that no one is allowed to be a regional power anywhere. The United States has to control every region. Right.
1: All right, all right. All right,
0: so do you take do you take calls from call from 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 listeners?
1: Uh, on occasion, yeah.
0: I just wondered. If yeah, I'm should we do it? a lot of stuff? I wonder if there's anybody out there who's going crazy saying I want to talk to this idiot and
1: get
0: <laughs> <laughs> him right, or you know what I mean?
1: Well, or, I, that's uh, up to
0: that, you. It's your show. Obviously. Hey,
1: that's the, that's the sign. You heard him, you guys. If you're out there and you got questions, uh, five seven three four four three eight two five five. Uh, you can get on the air right now with Richard K Moore and uh, ask him anything that's on your mind with regard to this stuff, and uh, I'm sure he'd be glad to uh, glad to give you his uh, his take on it. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the phone here, Richard. If it uh, if it rings, which it probably will here in a minute, uh, <laughs> we'll. Um, it's only fair. Yeah,
0: yeah, no doubt. I like to be out there listening to things and not be able to say anything.
1: No, yeah, I I I I, uh, I appreciate you uh, uh, putting it out there. So, all right, um, so. So Afghanistan obviously is important from a, from a st- strategic perspective. Iraq was important for the same reason, I'm guessing, and, and, and the resources that are there.
0: Yeah, and nothing else. Uh, I mean they, they, what, what, what's, ha- what's actually happening in Iraq is they're building a whole bunch of permanent U.S. bases. Right. Um, right, right. That, that's why, yeah, you know, there's a lot of um, Iraq has not been stabilized, because they don't really care. As long as they can build their bases, who cares what happens to the Iraqi people right. or the or the U.S. troops? They're just all sac- fodder that can be sacrificed. Um, now, now, what what so you nation re- building is the last thing the United States is trying to do. it' is, what it's what it's trying to do is build permanent bases in the desert, which it can then use to uh, for further military adventures. Uh, and it's going to need the oil. Mm-hmm. Cause wars take a lot of oil, so if you If you control Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia, and you've got all that oil under your belt, then you can. uh, First of all, you you've got the oil, and they don't. So you can mount offensives, and they don't have uh, oil to maintain their forces. Right, right. A lot of people don't realize one of the reasons Germany was defeated is they didn't have the access to oil that we did.
1: Yeah, you just read my mind. I was going to say at the end of World War II, it wasn't the fact that they didn't have the tech; they did. Their technology was superior uh, to uh, to ours. uh, in fact, they were outrageously uh successful with technology. Some of the stuff that 's still uh, being investigated today, which we could talk about for a long time but yeah, uh, but they they cut off their oil and they couldn 't run their tanks or their planes or anything so yeah. well hey, uh, let 's i 'm going to give that phone number out one more time if you 're out there with a question or a comment uh for, uh for my guest, Richard K. Moore. you can call us here. At the station at area code five seven three four four three eight two five five that's four four three eight two five five okay uh richard so so what's next then and let me ask you another question well what about what about all the nastiness that's involved you know the the abuse and torture and and uh, uh detaining of uh of uh, people that haven't even been charged with crimes and and uh and and now bringing that home and being able to do it to american citizens not to mention that it's any that the not that american citizens have any more value than any other person on this planet i'm not trying to say that but uh it obviously what happened in in iraq is not isolated it's been going on it's not new it's we've they've been doing these sorts of things for forever it seems like if you really look into it so anyway uh somebody's calling in richard let's take this call maybe we can get back to that question of mine in a minute okay all right, hold on a second here. Good evening. You're in orbit. Who's this?
3: Oh, hi. Um, My name's Paul.
1: Hi, Paul. How's it going?
3: Oh, pretty good. Um, I wanted to say that I read in a book called The New Pearl Harbor that um, the reason why the White House did 9-11 the way it did instead of a, a, a less complicated way, say like with anthrax, was because they wanted to have it come from the air to provide justification for putting nuclear-powered laser cannons in outer space. Mm. And I also wanted to say that, um, gosh, all this money we're spending on on Iraq, and it doesn't seem to be very popular. I've heard that uh, the resistance towards this war is, is bigger than Vietnam. Not that we would know about it because the media didn't report on it. And uh, it just seems to me like not a very profitable endeavor. And, uh, well, that's what I wanted to say.
1: All right, uh, you want to stick on line here for a second? Sure. All right, what do you got to say, Rich?
0: Well, what Paul says makes perfect sense. I think, really, um, imperialism generally has not made a lot of sense, in all cases, to the home country. Who it makes sense to is Halliburton. In other words, short-term gain like what's really going on is money is being taken from the American people and transferred to Halliburton and, and related corporations that are doing these so-called nation building what they're really doing is building American bases and they're calling it Iraq nation building <laughs> and, right. and, they, and they're charging way too much for it you know it's like yeah just like
3: those $700 toilet seats or whatever yeah exactly um do you think that the uh, Star Wars program is on the back burner for the moment, or or not? It, no, it seems
0: to be on the front burner. Um, no. Yeah, I mean they're they're installing their missile defense. I, I don't I don't know. It doesn't seem to be very effective, but they're installing it. They're going operational with it. When the generals and experts are saying that it's not ready, they're just saying do it anyway. You know.
1: Yeah, and as a caveat, you guys, uh, I would add that this is sort of sort of another one of the pet interests of mine, and I'm I'm reasonably certain that there that that, that there are some sophisticated technologies that we're not being uh, made privy to uh, that are probably space-based already. And again, this is just my take on this thing, but but I think that uh, I think that in certain cases, the technology that's in play here is actually quite Quite a bit more sophisticated than than, than, than we typically would uh, would believe. At any rate, uh, it's certainly what they want to do if they haven't done it yet. So.
3: Okay, I guess that's all I had on my mind.
1: All right, hey, appreciate it, Paul. Thanks Thank for you. call. Thank you. Take care. Bye.
3: Well, you know about
0: <clears throat> HARP? Certainly. H A A R P. It's the um, it's some kind of low frequency radio waves <clears throat> that they can use to. Focus weather patterns.
1: Yeah, they mess with the ionosphere and uh, using electromagnetic energy. yeah.
0: yeah there's so many of those things you read about, you don't know what to believe. But um, when Michelle Chusadovsky started writing about it, then I knew it was real. <laughs> he's a very serious scholar. You know, he's a Canadian uh, economist.
1: Yeah, Chusadovsky. He's written
0: he, a lot about globalization. He
1: has. He's written some great stuff. And he. I, I, I don't know his website offhand. Uh, but uh, that's another I think
0: one it's for that
1: is what it is globalresearch.org, yeah. and his name of is Michael. Chir-
0: is wonderful, you can always go in there and say search Sadovsky <laughs> articles, carriage return, and you know you'll you'll be there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and again, you know, isn't it something uh, the, the the web really has for the people that are that are willing to utilize it as a tool for uh, for for learning and for experience and all that sort of thing? It really is something else. You know, if it's if it's used as just an extension of the uh, you know of the matrix so to speak you know in other words if you just get on the web and go to foxnews.com or cnn.com and you never go anywhere else well then you're going to get just more of the same but it certainly gives us the opportunity if uh if we're if we're willing to uh to go out there and start digging a little bit you know yeah, yeah. then you have the problem of trying to sort it out which is uh w- w- which is uh, boy about that's what we have that's what we have brains for. <laughs> right. right. And most people, though, unfortunately, don't either feel they have the time or are willing to take the time to, uh, to employ those uh, those higher functioning parts of their brain and really try to at least get a grasp on maybe what might be going on. And again, you don't have to know that much about it. You just have to understand that there's a serious amount of manipulation and deception going on. You were saying
0: something earlier about conversations in
1: missouri and well uh yeah there's uh there's um there's a th- there's just a lot of conversation going on here there's not there's 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 not a lot of uh there's not a lot of taboo here believe it or not in this little uh community that i th- that i live in there's uh columbia is where the university of missouri is here uh, stevens college is here and uh, uh i think uh, columbia college is here anyway uh and and there's there's sort of an underground that I sort of tap into now and again, and I've only seen the tip of the iceberg I think um, and uh but I definitely feel that there are a growing number of young people in particular that see through this illusion that we that we've been talking about all night mm-hmm. and I'd sure like to think that that's. That, 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 that my perception of that is real. Mm-hmm. Maybe if maybe if it's real, maybe one of them will call us here and tell me if I'm out of my mind or not. But uh, anyway, um, so what do you think is coming next then? We've got this, oh, I want to, before uh, Paul called, we were talking about, I wanted to ask you this question about all the abuse and all the stuff that's going on. You know, where does that come from? I mean, and and how does that play into all
0: this? Well, okay. First of all, um, I mean, torture and abuse is something that has been used by governments forever. You know. and the United States and Britain, uh, Russia, China, they all use torture mm-hmm. and have for a long time. Uh, usually they kind of keep it under the covers, as it were. Um the stuff, that this the Abu Ghraib and you know the, the recent revelations, all of that is so blatant um, that you have to know that they want us to know about it.
2: Hmm.
0: It's blatant intentionally. I mean, they didn't have to show the people in Guantanamo with their orange robes and hoods on television. Nobody forced them to show that on television. Right. They showed it on television because they want us to see it. To what In other words. It's intimidation. Um, the United the point is is the United States has concentration camps and they're going to put us in them if we make a fuss, and they're preparing us for that.
1: Well, that's that's encouraging.
0: Um, well, it's important to face the truth. I
1: think. Right, right.
0: Hiding your head in the sand never protects you.
1: No, that's certainly true. That's certainly true. In fact, that's what's gotten us here in 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 uh, in, in, in large part.
0: You know, there was this thing, this guy, Neil Muller, in World War II. He said, you know, first they came for the communists. Mm. And I didn't do anything, because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the labor leaders. Then they came for whatever. And finally, they came for me, and there was nobody left. All right. And it's like that. So um, they start off. It's just uh, they arrested Muslim men. <clears throat>
2: Hey, uh, no, Richard, I just read a
0: report yesterday. Let's, they hey, let's they take went into order. high school and took out a 16-year-old girl who lived, spent her entire year in the United States, entire life in the United States. Popular girl in campus. They said she was. They arrested her because they said she's a suicide bomber. <laughs> I,
1: I, read, yeah. I I read the story. Hey, let's take another call here, Rich. Right. Yeah. All right. Good morning. Uh, you're on radio orbit. Who's this?
3: This is Deborah, and Hi. I had a question about. Uh, where he takes his mind beyond this level of the matrix and the nations what's beyond that and what's feeding on our energies for me it's the idea of of suffering is uh, something feeding on our energies all the species and the planet so it needs our suffering and I just wanted to know what his ideas are beyond just the Human agents,
1: the surface, and beyond
3: the matrix. Yes. What's what are the levels beyond that? Who's operating this? Just you know, where, where has his mind gone beyond human levels?
1: Okay, an interesting question. What do you what do you think about that, Richard? Would, do, you, do you do you picture anything beyond uh, just the? Well,
0: is Deborah still on the line?
1: I think. Are you still there, Deborah? Or did you hang up? I think she must have hung up. So uh, she'll probably just be listening off the air.
0: Okay. I wish I could have got her to say a little more because I'm not sure what direction she's wanting to go with that.
1: Well, Deborah, you know the number. You're welcome to call right back. in mean, there's, like.
0: there's all the David Icke stuff saying we're controlled by aliens mm. and is under the ground or something, you know. mm. <laughs> which I'm not into. Um, so I'm just not quite sure what she meant. Right,
1: right, right. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, well, I'm with you. But I also, I also kind of get a feeling that um, that even you know, even if you stick within our own species, <laughs> that uh, that there that there's some sort of ad, that there's some sort of a desire for uh, inflicting pain and sort of uh, you know the 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 joy of of somebody else's suffering. And I think maybe Deborah was saying, is is that maybe uh, part of the psychological profile of some of these uh, uh, some of these people that are. That I run the show, who are primarily white men, I might add. You know, it seems it so, seems like it seems like this is the it, like it's just this this uh, male dominance hierarchy that's right out of the arboreal forest. It's just a bunch of uh, alpha males organizing to promote themselves.
0: Yeah, that's really kind of what I was saying. By um, we have been ruled by elites for the last 10,000 years. Um, And, you know, if you're a ruling elite, then you use the techniques that ruling elites use. Um, And so what we really need to figure out is how we can overcome elite rule and create real democracy. And that's the only thing that's going to, help us
1: all right well look that, that's uh that, that's a good place to take a break we're at the bottom of the hour here let's uh let's do that when we come back let's we we know we know the game obviously we could talk all night about what's coming next but uh obviously it seems to me that your opinion is that that the march will continue and regardless of of the failures and the disasters that are being left in the wake that they that that they will continue, probably. Richard, is that what you mean to Iran or wherever else? No oh
0: yeah, it can only get worse because um, capitalism must grow;
1: otherwise, it dies.
0: I mean, the the total GNP of the world, so to speak, <clears throat> has to be bigger every year than it was the year before, or ca- capitalism just collapses. You know, um, so what happened?
1: So what happens when they push the marketplace to every corner of the uh, of the globe?
0: Well, we can see what's happening. What's happening is that as that happens, um, the economy starts to become becomes more and more unstable. And so the 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 United States answer to that is to control all of the resources. So when the system collapses, they can pretty much name the game after that.
1: Hmm. Outrageous. Okay, uh, well, let's, uh, let's come back in a few minutes and we'll talk about, uh, about your thoughts on, on what we might do to try to mitigate some of this and see what we can do to try to make things a little bit better, okay? Okay, uh, this is Mike Hagan, and uh, you're listening to me and Richard K. Moore on Radio Orbit on KOPN. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
2: and answers fall insurmountable love
1: was Pearl Jam from Riot Act. Love Boat Captain. All you need is love. Been said a number of times over the years, and people don't seem to be listening that well, but at any rate, okay, this is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. I've got uh, about 15 or so minutes left with our guest tonight, Richard K. Moore, who's sticking around with us. It's probably daybreak now by by now in Ireland, isn't it, Richard?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. The sun's been out for quite a
1: while. All right. Yeah, it's actually, what, I guess it's going on uh, 7.30 your time there.
0: Yeah, and well, we're, we're pretty far north, so we have long days as, as we get towards summer.
1: Tell me a little bit about where you're at right now. Are are, are, are you on, on, uh, on the shore somewhere? You guys close to the ocean?
0: Yeah, Wexford is the southeast corner of Ireland, and it's uh, right at the mouth of the Slaney River. So when I look out my windows, some days it, there's white caps, and it looks like it's the ocean, and then other days there'll be a brown, muddy river. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Anybody who lives on a estuary like this knows what I mean. Right, right. i to be every day. Might, is it the ocean or the river? You know.
1: Right. Well, it's it's a beautiful country. What what brought you there to Ireland? Yeah, I know you you were a native here in the states.
0: Um. Well, I want when I wanted to get into writing, I just felt I needed to have a new environment. But you know how. When you've li- been living in the same place for years and years, it's, your mind is kind of weighed down by the routine. Mm-hmm. And you break out to a new place where you don't know anybody and everything's fresh. It's easier for you to break into new ground.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And as it
0: turns out, I love Ireland. I just love the people. It's uh, really a friendly place.
1: Well, it's uh, Europe's interesting in general. I, I spent some time, believe it or not, I, w- I, I was a... Uh, a civilian employee of the Department of Defense for a time, and uh, I lived in Germany. I mm. did quite a bit of traveling around that's Europe. Not... Actually, I was in uh, Berchtesgaden,
0: oh, yeah, okay.
1: which is down in Bavaria, uh, down in the southern uh, Bavarian Alps. On that's a beautiful, beautiful, another beautiful part of the world. Uh, with oh, all that's the...
0: where that was Hitler's. Um...
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's for his. That was sort of his favorite little vacation hangout, where him and his yeah. him and his other buddies would go and plan their next booty raid. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, sort of a nefarious history there for sure, and a real strange place at the same time, a real beautiful place that that basically became American property after the war, uh, where, and of course they took all the best places then, just like you say, it's the spoils of war, and yeah. uh, and then they got all the, the 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 stuff that they hadn't blown to smithereens. They Turned into hotels and fancy restaurants for officers' clubs and all that sort of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, at any rate, okay. (laughs) Well, yeah, uh, and it's. I mean, it's the perspective is one thing, you know. It's like uh, there, there are so such a great majority of uh, of our countrymen here in the United States never leave this country, and it's really a shame because regardless of what you're political beliefs are, or religious beliefs, or whatever, whether you believe in econometrics, I don't care. Uh, You know, getting out and going to other places and seeing the way the world works through different operating systems uh, is, you know, can be nothing but beneficial, I think, and it's really unfortunate that more people don't do it or take the opportunity or have the opportunity or what, so. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, the student exchange programs are a really good thing. Students can go study
1: in another country that 's a good
0: time to do it when you 're young, oh yeah, job yeah. and family and kids already and
1: stuff right no question about it all right well R- R- richard let 's do that we 've got a few minutes to finish things up here. We got ten or fifteen let's let 's talk about uh, about where this is going. It sounds like i mean we 've painted a pretty bleak picture up until now. It basically sounds like uh, the, that the traditional means of correcting uh, some of these problems i e the voting booth and this sort of thing that that just that just doesn 't appear to be happening so w- the media every everything is seems to be controlled by corporate giant interests or uh, you know, or or other groups, organizations with agendas that'll make your hair stand on end. So what are, what are we supposed to be doing? How do, how do we protect ourselves and our futures and our families and kids and and the, and you know everybody? So we don't end up blowing everything to bits. Now that the technology is get, you know, the technology's getting to the point where it's going to take a change of mind. You know.
0: Um. Yeah. I mean. What we have to understand is that, like I said, elites have been running things for thousands and thousands of years. And anything that we've gotten from elites has been because they gave them to us. And um, now they're taking it all away because they're in the end game. It's now in the end game of global hierarchy. There's There's no further to go. And so what we're heading for right now is global fascism. <clears throat> I mean, there's a direct and linear descent from Adolf Hitler and Prescott Bush down to George Bush. I mean, George Bush is not just a fascist, he's a Nazi. And um, <clears throat> the only way we're going to save ourselves is by doing something we haven't done for 10,000 years, and that is to overcome elite rule. Um, So what we're talking about is a revolutionary activity which is more revolutionary than Marxism, more revolutionary than the American Revolution or the French Revolution or anything that's ever happened for the last 10,000 years. We have to actually achieve popular democracy. There's nothing else that can save us. Hmm. Um, And you mentioned conversation because it turns out that the real path Liberation is for us to learn to talk to one another mm-hmm. across our so called ideological differences. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big subject. I mean, it, 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 kind of, it sounds almost uh, silly to say it just in a few words like that. No. But it, is, but it is actually possible if you sit down with people and you're able to really listen to each other. It turns out that we have more in common
1: than we have oh yeah the difference yeah yeah i've I've sort of maintained for quite a while now that <clears throat> a long time i heard a long time ago I heard the idea that that the world is made of language, and that everything that we talk about, everything that we describe, everything that we experience has to be done through words, and when we communicate with 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 one another and so so you i I hear you. Fully, that 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 the way to work through it is to push the envelope of communication and and to, and try to uh, try to remove boundaries and 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 barriers between people and 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 I think that that's one of the one one of the wonderful things about the web, you know, that it's giving us this great opportunity to dissolve boundaries between people and cultures. I mean, I mean, you and I can chat real time over the web, and 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 we're five thousand miles away from one another
0: yeah well I mean there's different levels of discussion and dialogue mm. and the um, the book that I'm now just about ready to publish I mean, I finished the I finished the main text but now you know you gotta do footnotes and bibliographies and things like that All right but it's close to being done and it's really it's about how we can achieve democracy and change the world uh, which is what needs to be done. Um, and it turns out to be about a certain kind of dialogue where people, uh, where you get people together and you really focus in for an extended period of time on listening to what's really important to everybody in the group. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you find out really that we're all brothers, you know, all brothers and sisters, and that we all want... Peaceful world, a place for our kids to grow up where they can play in the grass, you know, and, and run around, and um, yeah, and yeah. we all want the same thing. <laughs> the, the only thing that makes us think we're enemies is uh, propaganda.
1: No question about it. I I I agree fully. I hate
0: to put it in such simple terms.
1: No, I mean, but that's what it comes down to. I mean, I think that's if I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna boil it down, that's what it comes down to. I mean, that's what everything that I've done over the last 15 years has led me to. That that simple statement.
0: Like you said, all you need is love. Well, that's that's really it. I mean, people do really love each other when it comes down to it. You
1: know. Yeah. When Um, when their needs are met, you know, the fundamental needs, like you say, if you can. You know, if you can have a you know, a uh, a decent home, a place to you know, where you're safe and, and where and you know, and and food for your family and a and and a place, you know, where where you can have a respectful life with some dignity, you know, if people have those things there they want the same things, like you mentioned, they want peace and happiness for their families, you know, and a future and a future. Hey, somebody's calling in. Rich, want to take one more call here at the end? Sure. All right, hold on a second. Hi there. Uh, you're in orbit. Who's this? It's Paul again. Oh, hi, Paul.
3: Um, You were talking about the tip of the iceberg, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, well, my suggestion is that anybody that wants to get involved in what we're talking about should go to the Peace Snook. You've heard of that place, of sure, course. Sure, sure. And uh, say what's on your mind, and they can probably direct you to the appropriate group about the nine eleven conspiracy thing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a local group uh, we're going by the name of SiJack, spelled with an S I, hmm. instead of a P S. You know, mm-hmm. and um, we've had uh, some confrontations with the police uh, for hanging banners over I seventy.
1: Ah, I've seen it. I've you know. seen it. I've seen it, and you know what? It's fu- I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, I was driving. I live in Roachport, and uh, I was driving from Columbia to Roachport, and you guys, I'm sure it had to be you guys. There was a sign right on I-70 hanging from one of the overpasses, and it said... Uh, 9/11 was a coup. Is that what it said, maybe,
3: or it said it, it was an inside job? Yeah,
1: that's what it said. 9/11 was an inside job, and I and I and I had to double take because I couldn't believe that I mm-hmm. that I saw it. And I was on the phone with my mother or my father at the time, who are both uh, uh, fully embedded in the matrix, so to speak. <laughs> and and uh, I it was one of the most surreal things that's happened to me in a while, and I and I, and I loved it actually. Well, so. well, the
3: local prosecutor, I don't know if it's. Kevin Crane or or one of his underlings, he uh, or they have decided not to uh, go ahead with any of the tickets that were issued to us.
1: What was the charge? uh, Can I ask what? Uh, what There were
3: several. Every week it was something different. Hmm. Um, I think the last one was that we were blocking. uh, No, actually, the last one was that we were infuriating motorists.
2: Huh. And
3: we might cause them to have an accident. Yeah. Uh, before that, it was about that we, job- we might be blocking somebody's view.
1: How about those triple X uh, uh, billboards on the side of yeah, the Yeah, I way? know. I, I uh, wonder we, if those we, will cause we them to an of the that accident. One.
3: Dan oh. Veets has been our lawyer. Uh, we went to the ACLU meeting uh, as soon as this stuff started to happen. And uh, that that's how it's going.
1: All right. Well, hey, do you, do you have a last question for Richard or anything?
3: I can't think of anything at the moment. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll hang up now.
1: Well, hey, yeah. Keep th- up th-
3: the good work, Paul. Thanks.
1: Yeah, and, 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 <laughs> Bye. and thanks, Paul. Take care. Yeah, and, you know, for for, for anybody out there who, who who's listening and disagrees with, with with this, that, or the other thing, you know, this is not about uh, whether, whether you think 9-11 was an inside job or whether you believe uh, the official line or you have another idea of what happened. The point is that uh that Paul is out there expressing his rights as an American citizen and uh and and being hassled for it and that ain't right, so uh you know free speech is real, and that's why I'm on the show doing what I do, and that's why i don't screen my phone calls you know and uh and lots of other things because I'm believe in it, and I think that. Uh, we, when we see our 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 uh, fellow friends and citizens do it, we need to support them. You know, not deride them. So, and it regardless of their position. At any rate, okay. Uh, sorry about that, Richard. But
0: oh, okay. <laughs> how are we doing on time?
1: Uh we got. Uh, let's see. We got. We got about three minutes. So let's wrap things up.
0: Can you tell me more about my book?
1: Yeah, let's uh, let, let's, tell, let's tell where the book's available. Again, uh, the, the website is cyberjournal.org. That's C-Y-B-E-R-J-O-U-R-N-A-L, cyberjournal.org. And right now, if you
0: go to that website, there's lots of articles that I've written and things, and there's the um, archives of, of the e- email lists over the last 10 years. I publish to a regular email list of subscribers, and they write back in, and sort of a dialogue going
1: on. Which are That's fascinating. Fascinating, by the way.
0: And so there's a place on the website. Anybody who goes there can send me a message, and we can talk. You know, we can be in dialogue. And you can also subscribe to the email list, which only get a few messages a week. It's not a lot of. It's not a lot of traffic.
2: hmm mm-hmm.
0: And um, and then when the book is ready, it'll be announced over the list. So uh, if anybody wants to make contact, then that's what we do. Let's go to the website, and then the, the tools are there to make contact.
1: All right. And, um, and uh, your links will also be sort of uh, archived up on my site as well in perpetuity. So uh, you guys, you can always go to radioorbit.com and then go to my archives page, and you'll be able to listen to this interview, uh, uh, the entire show uh, tonight, as always. And uh, you can share it with your friends, and you can also go to richard's website and uh start to communicate with him and start to uh, uh start to push this envelope of communication like we're talking about that's what that, that's what's going to get us through this you know richard if uh if we do end up blowing everything to Smithereens, it will be because our language failed us, you know because we couldn't understand one another because we couldn't uh get beyond our language.
0: Well, it starts with, you got to have the courage to know that we can change things. We can. It has been done in the past. It's just that we dropped the ball at the end. <laughs> but it is possible.
1: Yep, I agree. Um, I there's agree. more
0: of us than there are of them. <laughs> About a billion to one.
1: All right. Well, there you have it, and uh, and I can't thank you enough, Richard, for uh, sticking around for uh, with us all night. And um, I appreciate your time and your perspective. And I know my listeners do too. Uh, whether they agree or disagree, uh, it's worthy of discussion, and that's uh, that's what we're about tonight. So. Well,
0: thank you very much, Jordan.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it, and uh, I'll be in touch with you. Okay. Okay. Hey, stick around on the line for just a second. Okay.
0: Okay. Sure.
1: Sure. All right. Okay, you guys. Uh, this is Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. I'll be back next week with Dr. Terry Grossman, the author of the book Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever, and we're going to talk about the possibilities of immortality, believe it or not, in the near future. That's if we can keep our planet together long enough. So, okay, I hope to have you back next week. Thanks for listening, and again, thanks to Richard. Uh, Stick around for Curtis, the boogeyman. He'll be here in just a few minutes. In the meantime, I'll leave you with this dire straits brothers in arms take care of yourselves and I'll talk to you next week
4: Colored
2: mountains are home now for me.